look at what are probably, again, two of the most oft-quoted verses uh, in the New Testament, uh, to be quite honest with you. These are words that, uh, over the years, have often been connected, at least from my end, um, and just funerals that I've been at or have done, is John 14 comes up a lot, and there is a reason why. Because these are the words of Jesus, and they talk about the life to come. Um, it's not only a context in which they're used, but look at John 14, verses 1 and 2. We're only going to look at the first two verses. We, we talked about this last week. But let not your heart be troubled. These are Jesus' words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The, uh, this is a, the classic interpretation, um, New King James Version. Other versions translated out abiding places, uh, rooms, the ideas of a dwelling place. My Father's house are many places, many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, this, again, these words that speak about the life which is to come were actually given to us by Jesus at a pretty critical moment. Um, we, we remember that they were uttered right on the heels of a series of conversations and interactions that are recorded in the previous chapter, John 13, that really had created an environment in which the disciples were, were very shaken. And so um, I think it's actually helpful for us to, again, sort of think about this. And I reminded a few that one of the things that's actually good to do to really take these words that Jesus gave us and, and to see them in context, it's actually helpful to go all the way back to what was the beginning of that chapter 13 of John. Because it was in that opening of the chapter that Jesus makes his way into the upper room and sort of sets a tone for everything that's about to happen. So I put this in your middle column there, again, as a way of giving us a sense of how we got to these words. In John 13, it says that before the Passover celebration, and this is a great phrase, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. And he loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. That is, I, I, that verse to me, again, we sat with this last week. It just speaks so much about what real commitment looks like. Um, having loved them, he loved them to the end. And that is a love that finishes. That's a love that completes. And when we actually, and this is one of the things we're going to be submitting here, is that when we really understand what Jesus had to say about the future, it's going to strengthen us in our ability to keep our commitments of love. And we know that Jesus was sensitive to the fact that he was entering in for the purpose for which he was born. Whenever you see something in the scripture that says he starts talking about his hour, he's basically saying, now the moment has begun. Everything now that I've been preparing for, that I came into this world to do, is about to happen. And Jesus was very clearly aware that there was going to be a series of events that was going to lead him ultimately to the cross, through the cross, into the resurrection, and ultimately, as he says here, the hour will end with me being reunited with my Father. Now, he makes these statements. Again, um, part of what was happening, though, in this moment was that at a human level, Jesus was very aware that this hour, as he described it, this moment that was about to happen, this particularly intense time, was going to have a trigger point. And the trigger point was going to be a betrayal. And the betrayal he was well aware of was actually going to be happening from within. And um, 
he, he knew that the, what he called the evil one um, had found his way into the heart of Judas and that Judas's heart had already been turned even though it was part of the larger plan and even though God would use at a spiritual level the enemy's arrogance to, and even hatred to defeat him and actually in what theologians call the great, a great reversal would occur. The cross that looked like a defeat turns into a victory, a pathway to life. Having said that, at a human level, Jesus is clear here. He was really bothered. There's no mistaking it. When we look at what some of the things that Jesus is saying, and again, the disciples have made their way into this room. It's called the upper room. It's where what we call the Last Supper occurs. They're celebrating Passover. In this room, with just his most intimate disciples, they're sharing this meal together. And Jesus is clear, and John gives us a vivid description of it. And again, part of what we're doing is looking back so that we can look ahead. What John tells us is that Jesus actually was getting increasingly bothered by the atmosphere of what was going on. A large part of that atmosphere was connected to Judas because it, evidently Judas was attempting to act as if nothing was going on. Um, it was apparent that none of the other disciples were aware of it at all. When Jesus would start talking about betraying, no one had said, oh, it must be Judas, right? That was just not on their mind. They weren't thinking that way. He, there was nothing that he had done. And in fact, it's pretty clear that Judas is just interacting with, with them, uh, with his friends, as he has always done. He's interacting with Jesus. And I'm just wondering, I, again, it's helpful to use our imagination. Try to see ourselves in that dimly lit room with just the flickering of the oil lamps. And these men together in this moment and, and imagine that Jesus is there and he's watching what's happening. A number of things are going on that night, but one of the things that he can see is that Judas is just acting like completely nonchalant. It's like nothing's wrong. And he, it bothers him at a human level. Remember we talked about this last week. When Jesus does what he's about to do, he does it as a fully human being. Even though he was the son of God, he really goes through the cross as a fully human being. And one of the things that concerns him, that bothers him, that really is getting at him is he's watching this happen. In fact, he's, what he does is he says, listen to me, and he quotes, he kind of catches them all off guard. He quotes from the scriptures, the Old Testament, we call it Older Testament. He actually quotes a psalm. And he says something that immediately would have, must have felt extraordinarily ominous and almost disruptive. It, we'll, and we'll put this up. This is, this is in John, oh, this is John uh, 13, 18. And Jesus is quoting from Psalm 49. And he says essentially, as, these are the words of David, but Jesus uses them to say they're happening right now as well. He says, my own friend, the one who eats at my table, the, one of the versions says, my familiar friend who eats at my table has lifted up his heel against me. So Jesus says this, he quotes it. And again, David was referring to how someone who had shared intimately with him, a friend who had broken bread together, had turned upon him. And it, it, it really bothered David. And Jesus now is saying the same thing. Jesus pulls a verse out of the Psalms that he was embedded in those scriptures. And he pulls it out and he says, this, this is about to be fulfilled at an entirely different level. My own friend, my own friend who is here among us, has lifted up his heel against me. And then, right on the back end of that, Jesus, I don't know how, we don't know how much time the gap here was, but then all of a sudden, Jesus, he explodes in a moment of pathos and emotion. And again, we're invited to sit with him and try to like imagine what's going on. Perhaps they had all started talking again. 
And Jesus then does what, he's, what we're told he does next. And he totally catches them off guard. Look what it says here. He, it must have been startling. John 13, 21 and 22. This is what it says happens. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you a truth that one of you will betray me. And the disciples startled. Again, it just says he bursts out with this. And he doesn't say who it is. But he says, I tell you a truth, even now, one of you will betray me. And as he says it, they all, what we're told here, they all start looking at each other. And again, try to imagine ourselves in that room. Because Jesus doesn't say who. He just, they, there's that, they're shaken by it. It's like they start looking at each other. Like, what is he talking about? What is, he, what is wrong? What are you saying? It's extraordinarily unsettling. And they were all wondering, what do you mean by that? What are you getting at, Jesus? What's going on here? They were not accustomed to him doing this. It was extraordinarily impactful. And again, what, then we know what follows after that. Jesus starts talking about you know, things, and then he eventually says something to Judas that no one would have necessarily caught. Maybe one or two did. But he said to Judas intentionally, what you are about to do, go and do it. Do it quickly. And Judas goes into the night, which is a descriptive way of describing, I think, at a, at a dual level what happens. He just wanders away into the darkness. And as he does that, Jesus seemingly frees, is freed up to share at a different level of intimacy. Not unlike what happens sometimes when we feel like the room is kind of cleared up of the disunity. And now the, 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 you know, the fraud, the, the hypocrisy of this environment is at least cleared up and I can share with you my heart. And that's when he starts talking about, do you understand what's about to happen? I'm about to leave you. I'm about to go away, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And, of course, that's what causes Peter to say, well, why can't I go? And Peter's sensing that Jesus is talking at least in part about dying or at least about something that's going to carry him into a place where his very life will be threatened. Peter says, you know what? I am willing to die for you. And I say it in front of everybody. And when he says that, Jesus, of course, responds. And he says, no, you are not willing. You may be willing, but you will not. You are not going to die for me. You are going to deny me. Before the night is out, you will completely disavow me. Before the new day dawns, before the rooster crows and the blush falls on the eastern sky, you will break with me completely. And it was a powerful moment. And again, the disciples are all watching this. They've watched a series of things happening. And the reason that's important is because it really illuminates John 14. Because it's out of the place where he's clearly looking at them. And these are not weak people. They're, they're strong in their own way. They're different. Some of them have been fishermen. They've worked with their hands. Some of them, like Matthew, have been a task collector. He's more cerebral. Philip and Nathaniel, they're different kinds of people. Thomas, a genuinely questioning man who likes to get below the surface and doesn't just take things as they are. He wants to see why. We have all kinds of people in this group of his closest, closest friends and followers. One thing is clear. Every one of them had terror in their eyes because it was disturbing what Jesus... They did not hear him talk like this. They didn't hear him talk like this about Peter. They didn't hear him talk about things like betraying. They, it was extraordinarily troubling. And in that moment is when Jesus utters these words in John 14. Uh, look at me. Again, we talked about this. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. You believe in God. You need to believe in me. I'm telling you, there is more than this life in my Father's house or many mansions. And I'm telling you something. If it were not so, if I was just making this up, I would tell you even now. But it is true. And I go to prepare a place for you. Look at that. This is what I'm doing. Part of what I'm doing here 
is I'm leaving to prepare a place. Now, then he goes on in the, the verse that we did not look at last week. He says, and look, if I go to prepare a place for you, I need you to understand, I will come again and I will receive you. I will receive you to myself. Part of that reception will mean this, that where I am, there you will be also. Now, this is an intense moment because as you look at Jesus coming out of this, and again, uh, bear with me as we just kind of like set the scene. You've got to understand, it was like just, what was it, like a, a, about a, a, an incredibly, just a few days earlier when they had come into that room, they were all very aware of, of you know, what, what, what was going on because they were celebrating Passover. But behind it, everybody kind of had known that, there were things happening that were very disconcerting. So already coming into the room that, to celebrate Passover, they were a little uneasy because there were, there were clearly a turning of a tide. Um, the enemies of Jesus were becoming more aggressive. And the, you know, you got to remember, a week earlier um, on what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus had, had you know, walked into the city and, and he, he basically entered like a victor. And, and they, the, the people in Jerusalem, I mean, he was like, we would call it like a modern day celebrity of the hour. Jesus, in, when he came into Jerusalem, there was a huge mass of people who gathered together and he wrote and he did this to touch something that he knew would have connected he rode in on a donkey, on a foal of a donkey. He, rolled, he came into the city uh, connecting himself to a prophecy of the Older Testament of Messiah. And people started crying out loudly in the streets, there he is, he's declaring himself, he's the Messiah, I told you he was. This is, they started waving palms, they started crying out, this, that's why it's called Palm Sunday, they started crying out. There he is, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Do you see him? He's going to make it known now. Watch what he's going to do. He's going to save us. God save us. That's what Hosanna means. God save us. And all the disciples were walking in with Jesus. They're walking in. You've got to see it. And they, this is everything. This is yes. This is the, this is the moment we're with him. He's, we're together, the crowds, oh, who can, this is everything we could have envisioned, Lord. This is awesome. This is great. Four days, five days, all of a sudden, his enemies. In fact, look, look what it says here about the, the, when he marched in. Look what it says about his critics. They were so overwhelmed by the euphoria that in John 12, 19, it says that the Pharisees said to each other, there is nothing we can do. Look, everybody's gone after him. We're powerless to do anything about him. Everybody, everybody's gone after him. Everybody's following him. But we know what happened. As things settled down, his enemies regrouped. And there were ill winds that were blowing. And all of a sudden, it was becoming apparent that the tide was shifting. And Jesus wasn't going to do anything to throw off Roman rule. And he was pulling back. Well, they thought he should be asserting himself. And now the enemies were strengthening themselves. There was even a rumor that Jesus was going to be arrested. Not in a public way. But in a secret moment, when they could do it, and then put him on trial for blasphemy. That was what was already happening in their mind's eye. So all these things start piling up. Jesus, also on top of the environment that was already in the room, Jesus is talking about dying, about leaving them, about betrayal, and then about Peter. And can you hear me when I say the entire atmosphere in that room was bleak? It was subdued. It got... 
It was small. It like, it like everything was closing in. Yeah, I think the very room itself, this is what it's come down to. Now 11 shaken men and just Jesus. And he's talking to them and everything is small and everything is earthbound and everything looks bad. And, the, and again, then to have Jesus look into their eyes and tell them, not only is this not a time to panic, do not let fear grip you. This is a time to trust and believe. But then to do something that none of them could have anticipated, to carry them into a discussion that none of them could have envisioned. It was the most illogical thing to say theoretically in this moment. Because in the midst of this smallness, when fear is closing everybody in tight and everybody's together, all of a sudden Jesus breaks out in his words. Do you see what happens? It takes them right out of this room into the heavens. I mean, he pushes the whole thing out. All of a sudden, he like explodes into a point of expansiveness. He takes them out of the present, and he shoots them into the future. Do you see how marvelous, how amazing that is? I mean, here they are, earthbound, defeated in this present. And then he takes them beyond the universe, and he takes them into the future. And I think this is so amazing to me. I, I, I look at it, and I go, oh, Lord. I mean, here we are. They're, we're all tightly bound up, and you just burst us out, burst them right out of the room, just, it's big. It gets big. It's expansive. Let me tell you about where this is going. Let me tell you, as you're afraid of what's happening in this moment, let me tell you about what awaits. Let me take you out, not only out of this room, out of this world, into the future that you can never truly comprehend. I'm going to talk to you about what's ahead. It was an amazing moment. It was stunning, and it was extraordinary. It was marvelous. And it reminds me of something. It reminds me of a couple of things I think it's honestly worth it for us to think about. And I'm just going to put these up. I just want us to think about it. We're talking about the future. One of the things that Jesus talks about here is that heaven is a place, right? It's an abiding place. That this world is not the only abiding place. That there is more. And sometimes you hear a lot of people discuss, well, is this all there is? Is this, you know, is it just this life, you know? Um, is there anything? How do we know what is ahead? I mean, we, we got people writing books, and we got movies being made, and we have all kinds of opinions. What did Jesus say, really? He talked about how there really is far more. He talked about the future life. He talked about how there are many rooms in the Father's house as the great G. Campbell Morgan, the commentator, said, in so doing, he took us out of the earthbound and he flings us into the vastness of the universe. I mean, to what is beyond, to what is yet to be a home beyond time. That's what we're talking about, a home beyond time. Some of us know what it's like to go home after it's been a long time. And that's what Jesus said. I want to talk to you about a home beyond time. I want to talk to you, think of this, about a future, and that's when he said, you need to believe me here, that is as real as the present. It's as real as the present. Then he said this, and this is number two. He said, this is what heaven is like. He said, heaven is like a home that God, number two, heaven is like a home that God is preparing for us. And he uses this as an analogy, as a way of capturing our mind. You know, Jesus didn't talk a lot about the details um, of what is yet to come for those who follow him. But when he did, he talked of it as a place prepared. And that's fascinating because he's talking about like if someone is preparing a room for a special friend or a guest they want to honor, care for. 
every attention is given to details. And I just got me thinking, Lord, what a, this, I, I was thinking about this morning when I got up. I just got pretty early and was getting ready for today. Try to get my mind in a really good place, praying, just thinking about what, it, how, what a gift it is to be alive. And it wasn't really hard to imagine because when I walked out the door and I saw the, the beauty of this day, my heart leapt. I mean, I felt a breeze. It was just a, but it was a gentle breeze. It was like a warm, almost a warm breeze, and it felt really good. And I started looking at the beauty that was all around me. I drive, I could see a little bit of the, the bay, and it was just, it was really beautiful um, driving in and walking, walk the streets. They're pretty close to empty at the time. And even in the city, I felt this sort of beauty. And it's a different beauty. But you know what I was reminded of? That even in this broken world of ours, and that's what God calls it, it is broken at some level. It is flaws. It's, it can be dangerous even at a natural level. And we all know that human beings, as Jesus describes us, are broken and in need of a Savior. We all have contradictions. The Bible calls us, it uses a, a biblical word called sinners to describe that, that we're all broken and in need of God. We all have shortcomings, contradictions, areas of selfishness. That's, okay, what I'm saying is, in spite of all of that, I see such enormous beauty in this world still, even with all of its violence and pain sometimes. There are moments where, you are, where I go, this is incredibly beautiful to me. And God, I see your image. The, the, the ancient followers of the Lord called it the Imago Dei in the Latin. I see the imprint, the image of God stamped on this creation, even in its brokenness. It declares your beauty. And sometimes just getting out, looking at the vastness of an ocean, watching the sunset, there are certain things that stir us at a very deep level because the master artist has constructed something for us that actually moves our soul. And it's designed to pull us towards God as real as the gravitational pull pulls us back down to this earth. That's why praying really is, 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 is actually as natural as breathing. And when we really get down to it, this world, even in its brokenness and its flaws, has enormous beauty. But Jesus, and if God prepared that, this world, really for us, then at some level when Jesus says, I am preparing a place for you, and he's essentially saying that is unbroken. The restoration of all this was meant to be, and that much more. I go, wow, Lord. And then on top of it, he says, I will prepare a place. And then he's, who is he talking to in that moment? He's looking at them in this room. Of course, the words seem absolutely incredible. They were going to seem even more incredible when everybody saw what happened to him. It's like, you're talking to us about the future when your world's falling apart. Precisely. Yes, I am. And I am telling you, this is where it's going. And then he says, I am actually going, you can't come with me now. Someday we will see each other again in a different way. That means so much. Those words were filled, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But he says, I am going to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be. That place, it, the impression is, listen to me, that it is both communal and it's both personal. That some of the best things in life are connected to others, and some of the best things in life have to do with our very uniqueness of who we are as a person. And the Lord is getting at both of those things. It's almost like as he's talking here, he's going, do you understand what I'm saying? And I think that the disciples, even though they were scared for a moment, they, 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 were, they were getting it. They, they, they must have been, it must have deeply impressed them as they thought about it. And, it. and clearly, those words would have been even more later when Jesus overcomes the grave 
And now all of a sudden, everything you said, oh, Lord, it has so much more meaning. Years later, as a much older man, nearing the end of his life, the same Peter who had denied the Lord so fabulously would later on write these words as he's preparing to leave this world. He's not quite there yet, but his body, as all of our bodies do, begins to wear out. He calls it like a tent. One of the apostles calls it like a tent that cannot last. He says, this is what, look what Peter writes about what is to come and see if you see the connection. Look with me at 1 Peter 1. I put this in as the opening of his letter. He says, as the last column, third column, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Do you see that? Anybody who comes to life in Christ is his mercy that does it. Not because we earn it. Because God raised Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ from the dead. And because God did this, Peter says, do you understand what that means? He says, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we do not live as people without a hope. He says, no, I tell you, we live with great, I love the, great expectation. And then he goes on to say it, and we have a priceless inheritance. It is an inheritance that money cannot buy. He's, do you remember how Jesus taught us? He said, everything in this world will pass away. Everything that we seek to earn, buy, possess, every credential, everything will pass away. We can't control anything, he said. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Do not be consumed by the lie. He said that this is the definition of a human being. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. That's what he said. And when he said that, it, it was designed to jar us into a place where we go, Lord, well, what does it mean to live well? What is, what is a true mark of success? And you know what he said? He said, lay it for yourself, not treasure in this world, where, where moth and rust, two corrupting agents, can destroy and steal it away. Or then he used another word. He says, where thieves can come in and steal it. And, and where a person's wealth can evaporate based on a global crisis or an economy's turn. We control nothing. What he said was, I'm telling you, invest in something that you can never buy, but is a gift to be received. It is an inheritance without any comparison. And he says, not only is it priceless, but look what he says. He says, it is, it is kept in heaven for you. It is pure. It's, it's uncorruptible. It's undefiled. It's beyond the reach of change, not even decay. He says, do you understand? Do you understand? You know, when you think about it, some of us go, I, someday I will receive an inheritance in this life. People fight over inheritances all the time. That happened, that was a notorious thing that happened all the time in Jesus' day. And one time, two brothers came up to Jesus and they said, Lord, my brother is not giving me my part of the inheritance. Will you arbitrate on my behalf? I sense you are a man of fairness and justice. He's holding things. He should be giving them. And Jesus says, man, who's made me an arbitrator over you? You are focusing, and it was an interesting statement and indictment. Jesus said, you're focusing on the wrong things. He says, it's almost like Jesus pushed aside the, the legal part, okay, whatever. The part is you are being consumed over money when you need to be more thinking about what is right with God. Yes. That's what he said. I'm, not, I'm just trying to be honest about that and sit with it and think about it for a moment. And, as he put, and Peter is getting at the very same thing. He's saying, Lord, help us all to remember that this is the great gift that we've been given, this, this wealth that cannot be taken from us. And then last thing I'll say, and I'll leave it here, okay, is this, and I maybe this is where I really would like to just bring it to us. Miss where I'm at too. 
But because of the future promise, do you understand what it means? Do we understand what a great invitation this is, an inheritance that we've been given? It's, it, it allows us, if we really do understand it, to live with an extraordinary level of resiliency. There is nothing in life that we cannot face. Paul understood that. Paul said, and he, he says, look, even if you t kill my body, he said, not that he was trying to die. He says, but if you do, e even then, he says, I will be present with him. Yes. So he said essentially that the worst can happen and I still have him. And then he would say something else, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Even this life that I now live in my natural body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm just trying to honor him with my life. But I want to say this, that a lot of what we need to remember is that we are going to face stuff in life. And one of the things that's going to help us tremendously, two, two things here, to be resilient when things are not going our way is to remember we, we have been given, not, I'm not talking about an escape route. I'm talking about some of a, when we really understand what the future holds, or at least a little bit of what Jesus taught us, it affects how we make decisions in the present. And it especially affects, and I hope we see the connection, how we deal with things we're afraid of. Especially when we, like the disciples, are, are, are tempted to panic. Because frequently, it's in these panic places in life when we make very bad moves that have tremendous implications, and it can sometimes damage us in extraordinary ways and really hurt people, not to mention our own life with God. And what part of what the Lord was teaching us, can we see it, and I hope I can even try to convey it, is that when we gain a perspective that there is more, that it does affect how we respond in the present especially at these places in our lives when we're tempted to either be self-centered, to maybe, to, so here is it. If we only live under the sun, as it was described in the book of Ecclesiastes, if that's all our life is, then I totally get why people go, I don't know how much more life I have left, so I gotta make my move now, and I'm gonna do this. It's true, people will be hurt, but you know what? I got to do because that's all, all there is. Now, here's the deal. When Jesus, when we believe him, do you believe me, he says. Believe what I say. When we believe him, what it does is it checks that tendency to get reckless in our fearful places. Because all of a sudden I say, Lord, I need to trust you because you know what? This is life is only part of my journey. Now, that, do you see how countercultural that is? How intensely countercultural that is. I'm in a place where I've got to make a decision on my career. I, I have to make a call in my business circles. What do I do when things are on the line and I'm afraid? If I do, what, how do I make that decision? Based on what? Based on this is all there is, so I've got to make this move. Or what Jesus taught me is very different to live always with an eye that everything here will be left behind. But there are things that are more important and so I make my move based on that because I believe. See, theoretically, we say, yes, Jesus, you, you, you're going to get us to heaven. But that doesn't really always affect how we live. I was, I was joking about it a little bit when I said, sometimes you know how Jesus said, Father, he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. A lot of times what we pray is, Jesus, you know, my will be done, 
in your name, I pray it. <laughs> Let my will be done in Jesus' name. And, 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 and I'm saying there's a lot of times where the Lord, the Lord will, will challenge us around that, and he'll challenge us to surrender our heart. And that's where a lot of the battle will come from. But you know what's helped me and is still helping me is I say, Lord, help me to believe you. Really. And now I understand. I get it. I get why you said I would not mislead you. I go, because a part of me goes, why would you ever say that? Why would you ever say that? You don't need to say it. You don't mislead people. That's not you. If anybody knew it, they knew it. Why would you say that? Because you knew truly how incredible it seemed to us. And what he was trying to tell us was live with that understanding. And there is nothing. And then watch me. Watch me. I will show you the way. And that's going to come up. He's going to talk about the way. Watch what I do. That and, and the art of following Christ by his strength, by his grace, is learning how to live not independently, self-made, but to lean towards God, to humble yourself, therefore, in the mighty hand of God. Therefore, we have access to something that we can never earn. It is a gift. But as I surrender even my weakness and my, my doubts and my struggles, what I, what I receive in Christ is strength for this life to honor him with it better than I would have if I simply had gone my own way. And again, remember, we do not just live under the sun. This is not all there is. If that's true then how does that affect the decisions we make and what we're doing in our fearful places when we want to panic and we want to control and we need to say, Lord, I have trusted you with my future. Even now, I want to trust you in this place. You understand what I'm saying? Help us, Lord Jesus. Let me pray. We'll have our time of giving. We'll close our song, but let me pray. Lord, I thank you for um, this word. It, it, it was not meant to be in any way triumphalistic. It was meant to honor you at some level to be able to say that your words call us into the deep places and that I, I'm not as one who is an expert at applying, but actually, Lord, sometimes struggling to live as one with a destiny beyond this life. That a lot of times, Lord, it's, it's actually hard to take what you taught us and bring it into the real present because so much of me wants to control my life. But I know that you want me to live as one who trusts one who ultimately knows that this is not all there is, because you told us that. What does that mean? What does that mean about how we are to love you, how we are to love others, how are we to take care of ourselves, what are we building, the choices we make? What does it mean to truly lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven, as you said? What does that mean? I pray that you would speak to our hearts, even in these closing minutes, Lord, just about surrendering our lives to you in better ways. Maybe even as we sing this at the end, Lord, it's like a song of surrender, a closing prayer of surrender. So I ask for your blessing, again, over our time of giving and over this closing song. In Jesus' name, on this beautiful day, amen.